0: At Pentecost, the Jewish people celebrate God giving the Torah, the word of the Lord. And at Pentecost, we get to celebrate the word of the Lord, the law of love being written on our hearts. At Pentecost, we celebrate the reversal of what happens at the Tower of Babel. The people who had decided to set themselves up as God are now united under the Lordship of Christ. At Pentecost, the Holy Spirit helped people to hear the story of the innocent, the suffering, murdered, and the resurrected Christ in their own language so that all people could hear this story and receive God's salvation. At Pentecost, the people responded by turning toward God, by listening to the teaching of the apostles, by gathering in fellowship in community, breaking bread together, living in favor with all the people. It's this experience that we walk into today. But even though through the spirit, the kingdom of God is near, and we can reach and access the power of heaven. We still see that all is not healed yet. And it doesn't take long, even in the book of Acts, for us to see this. A few chapters after this great story of the Holy Spirit coming, we see an argument uh, over the, the service of the widows, the Hebrew widows are said to be getting more resources than the Greek widows. And a divide over distribution of wealth to the races begins. We see a church council a few chapters later about how Jewish the Gentiles need to be in order to be a part of this new Christ following community. And in this passage that we heard today and throughout the book of 1 Corinthians, We see Paul address a church in Corinth who is grasping for power because of wealth, because of race, and because of prestige over which spiritual gift someone might possess and display. The church has struggled with the type of love that leads to unity from the very beginning. And I'm afraid that maybe we've undervalued the importance of what Paul is trying to say to us here. That love leads to unity in the body of Christ. And this is vital. Jesus said to his apostles in John chapter 13, people will know that you are my disciples by the way that you love each other. This is the way that the people of the world see who the people of God are. By the way we love each other. In 1 John chapter 4, it says, If someone says, I love God, but hates a fellow believer, that person is a liar. For if we don't love people we can see, how can we love God whom we cannot see? And in Matthew 22, when Jesus was asked, What is the greatest commandment? He responds simply, Love God and love your neighbor. Friends, there's a lot riding on our love for each other within the body of Christ. When we see how obvious it is that we are not living in obedience to love, sometimes we wring our hands wondering what it is that we can do, and we worry and we fret until the season kind of passes and some of us can just kind of ignore it until the next time something comes around. But my prayer this morning is that as we look at this passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 that we will see that Paul is giving us the beginning of a way forward. The the initial steps toward this unity, this loving unity within the body of Christ that was given to us at Pentecost. Paul begins this section in chapter 12 with a verse that we didn't read this morning, uh, but he kind of gives this litmus test for the way people are experiencing these spiritual gifts. He says, the only way you can say Jesus is Lord is through the power of the Spirit. And I'll admit that over the years, I've read that passage and I've thought, Paul, come on. There's, that's an easy litmus test, right? Right? Like I could go to anybody on the street and say, can you say Jesus is Lord? And they could say Jesus is Lord back to me. Am I right? But as I've thought about that phrase, I've realized that to confess, that to speak it from those deepest places and say that Jesus is Lord is nearly impossible for us without the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm reminded again of those people at the Tower of Babel. They were setting themselves up to be like God. They wanted to be the God of their own lives. And so they were scattered. They were divided with different languages to different parts of the earth. Because they could not confess that Jesus is Lord. And if we want to begin to take steps forward in loving unity of the body of Christ, we have to be able to confess Jesus's lordship in our own lives. In Matthew chapter 21, Jesus tells an interesting parable that to be honest, until a few months ago, i had forgotten was in the scripture. But there's this parable of a father who comes to his two sons and he asks them to go and work in the vineyard And one of the sons says, yes, of course, father, I'll do it. And the other son just automatically says, nope, not gonna. And over time, as Jesus tells the story, the son who had said yes, doesn't go. He stays in the house. And the son who said no, eventually changes his mind and goes out to the fields and works through the day. And as I think about the people of God confessing that Jesus is Lord, submitting themselves to the Lordship of Christ, I wonder if often we don't behave like the son who initially said yes. We take a stand for the the power of Scripture, and we said we are people of the word, that we should listen and we should obey. And yet when the Scripture challenges us in places that we want to hold on to, we ignore or we explain away or we slide past it and read a passage that reinforces what we already think. We hold control. And when people begin to prod at it, to challenge it, to question us about it, we get defensive. We, argue, we get argumentative. We wrap our behavior and our disobedience, even in religious language. And we hide our control in systems. And sometimes we even begin to fool ourselves a little bit. We go back to those times when we were called to submit to Jesus as Lord and we did give something over. And we go back to that place and we say, look, God, I did give you my control. I gave you control over that specific thing. And the spirit nudges us and says, yeah, but I'm talking about something else. The spirit is calling us to declare that Jesus is Lord. And this starts with a daily surrender, letting God search our hearts, and we slowly release the control of those areas that we hold tightly. Maybe it's our resources or our talents and our gifts. Maybe we're holding on to our influence or our power. Maybe it's our knowledge that we hold on to that we can't seem to release and give to God. Maybe it's our privilege or our need to be right. Maybe it's our religion. Here's the trick is that even as I talk about need, the need to release those control of those things that I'm holding back from God, it would be a whole lot easier for me to look around and point to other people and say, yeah, I know that thing that you're still controlling. I see it. It's obvious. You should submit that to God. It's a lot harder for us to see it in ourselves. I'm begging you, don't hear this section, this call of of Paul to say, confess that Jesus is Lord. And think, wow, somebody else needs to hear that. This is a message of surrender for each and every one of us. We are so invested that we keep looking to others and we keep feeding our addiction for control. The life of loving unity is a life of submission to Jesus as Lord. Can we pause just a second and spend some time in prayer? And as we do, I would ask that you let God search your heart Ask God to point out those places that you are still holding on to, holding tightly, trying to control. Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, search our hearts. Show us those places that we want to keep from you. Give us the grace to surrender those things. Give us the grace to loosen our grip. Let them rest in our hands so that you can receive them. We do this by the power of the Holy Spirit. And all God's people said, amen. As we submit our lives uh, and confess that Jesus is Lord, the Spirit empowers us with spiritual gifts. Verse seven tells us why we receive those gifts. Did you catch it? We receive those gifts in order to help each other. These gifts are given so that we can be unified in love to each other and united in mission to the world. The life of unity is a life of mutual service. And I'm afraid that uh, a lot of times in our churches, we amputate members, parts of the body of Christ because we've developed some sort of uh, spiritual gift rate ranking system. Sometimes we uh, devalue our own gifts. We say, "I am not a part of the body because I am not a hand." We look around at the spiritual gifts that other people have, and we say, "How in the world could my gift be important?" Uh, and that this is one of those places. This particular church, I think it happens in all churches, but this church specifically, we can fall into this trap pretty easily because. We see Pastor Steve come week after week and preach the word with power and anointing and thoughtfulness. And, and we appreciate that and we submit to it. We see uh, people on this platform each and every week who God has gifted to help us get a picture of the kingdom of God in a special way, through song, through scripture, through creative arts. And we're thankful for that. And we submit to that. We get to hear people who have studied the scripture for a long time and they teach and they lead. And we appreciate that gift. And sometimes in the midst of that, we can begin to devalue the gift that God has given us. And we'll miss all of those people who are given gifts that we don't always see. We miss the spiritual gift that God gives to people to be able to sit by someone's bedside when they're homebound or when they're dying. And they sit there with loving presence. And they sit there in silence where they'll pray, or they'll read scripture. And they give the gift of care. We miss those people who week in and week out walk into the local jails, And they, with the prisoners there, they seek God together. We miss that spiritual gift. We miss the gift of the people who open their homes to foster the orphans, to foster those children who don't have parents to care for them. We miss those gifts of people who are helping others learn English so that they can navigate our particular context. We miss the gift of those people who notice others who go unnoticed. Sometimes we devalue those gifts. But can I just say this morning, as people of the body of Christ, we need you and we need you to live in the power of the spiritual gift that God has given you. The body of Christ is not whole without it. The body of Christ is not healthy without it. And so embrace the gift that God has given you and live into it fully for the sake of all the rest of us. Sometimes we devalue the gifts of others and maybe we do it intentionally, maybe we do it accidentally, but we say the eye, we remember that the eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. I think over the years as I've thought about the people that I've kind of devalued their gifts, generally it's because I haven't gotten to know them very well. I see them from a distance. I make judgment. I assume that their gift, if they have one, isn't very valuable. And time and time again, God has graciously invited me to get to know the person. And the more I get to know them, the more I see how God's spirit is using them in meaningful ways, in ways that bring health and vibrancy to the body of Christ. And so if there are people that you're looking around that you don't see their spiritual gift, maybe take the time to get to know them. Begin to step into genuine fellowship with them. Enact the hospitality, invite them to your home. Get to know them. And intentionally take the time to begin to call out other people's spiritual gifts. I think there is so often uh, we're with someone uh, and maybe we see their spiritual gifts, maybe we don't. But I think if we intentionally walk into these relationships, looking to call out the spiritual gift of the other, it becomes more and more obvious what their gifts are. And maybe they don't see it. And you can be the voice of the spirit calling that gift out of them helping them to live as a vital member of the body of Christ. And finally, if we want to value each other's spiritual gifts, we need to let others use their spiritual gifts for our sake. And this takes an act of humility. I find over and over again that that it is easy for me to use my spiritual gift for you. And sometimes it's harder for me to let you use your spiritual gift for me. And so there are times we need to humble ourselves and let others use their spiritual gift for my sake, for your sake, for the sake of the body. The life of unity is a life of mutual service. And so I'm going to ask you, we're not in this room. You're at your house probably. Uh, Maybe you're with some other people. Maybe you're not but I'm going to ask you to do something that in this room would make you incredibly uncomfortable. But since you're at home, I'm going to ask you to do it. Uh, If you're with other people, take just a minute, turn to them and call out one of their spiritual gifts. If you're by yourself, maybe think about the gifts that God has given you, or maybe write down the gifts of someone that you know and contact them later. But just take a minute, just quickly call out the spiritual gifts of those people around you. just so those of you at, know, at home know, it was still awkward for the people in this room. So now Paul is going to stretch us. Paul is gonna cause us to do a little work. Um, and I'll be honest, I'm gonna read this next passage of scripture uh, in, from 1 Corinthians 12, 22 to 27. And this is a passage that I've heard 1 Corinthians 12 preached over and over and over again throughout the years. And this particular section has always confounded me. And I've rarely heard someone preach about it that I thought, yeah, I think that might be it. We usually gloss over it um, or dance around it. And so I wanna just kind of hopefully help us journey through that passage this morning. In fact, verse 22, some parts of the body that seem weakest and least important are actually the most necessary. And the parts we regard as less honorable are those we clothe with the greatest care. So we carefully protect those parts that should not be seen, while the more honorable parts do not require this special care. So God has put the body together such that extra honor and care are given to those parts that have less dignity. This makes for harmony among the believers so that all the members care for each other. If one part suffers, all the parts suffer with it. And if one part is honored, all the parts are glad. So as I looked at this section, I I started praying, God, show me what this means. Show me what it means that there are weaker members to the body, that there are parts who seem less important, that there are parts with less dignity, And I I wrestled for a long time. And to be honest, continuing to wrestle with it. And I would start to think of specific people. I would start to think of specific groups of people that maybe for whatever reason in my mind, it felt like they were weaker members of the body. And so then I would think, well, how would I talk about those people, that group of people in a sermon? And I would say, God, I can't say that. They they would feel devalued. They would not feel honored. They would not feel cared for. And it was in the midst of that frustration that I kind of felt the spirit whisper, yeah, you're starting to get there. I think what Paul does here, and this is the genius of this passage to me, is that Paul forces us to put a face to the person or the group of people who for whatever reason we see as less. He forces us to put a name and a face to those people who we see as weaker members of the body of Christ. And I don't know if we can engage in this activity unless we've already submitted to what Paul has already said, right? We have to have submitted and confessed that Jesus is Lord. And we say, God, search my heart, right? Because that's what we're doing here. We're letting God search our heart and bring out those biases that are in us. And we have to understand that it is the spirit who gives us our gifts, This is not some internal value. This is not something we've worked for. These gifts are given to us by the Spirit. And Paul says that everyone has been given these gifts. And so if I start to look around and I start to say, that is the person or the group of people who I see as the weaker members of the body, it forces us to wrestle with why we feel that way. And sometimes that's the turn. That's when we say, that's right, God. They are not a weaker member of this body. Their gifts are just as strong and as valuable as mine. And by the way, very rarely do we read this passage. And when we ask ourselves, who is the weakest member? Very rarely do we say it's me, right? Very rarely do you say, yeah, that's me. I'm the weakest member. And so we look around and and through this practice, God challenges our notions, our biases. And maybe we see that each person in the body of Christ is valued. And that's okay to think that, but that requires submitting ourselves then again to those people to receive their gifts. And I think sometimes we give lip service to valuing the others in the body of Christ, but we're not, we don't value them enough to genuinely submit ourselves to them. We're not willing to give up our control, our power for their sake. But maybe you read this passage and you do have some people in mind who you see as weaker members in the body of Christ. Paul gives us something to do with that, right? He doesn't just leave us there. Did you catch what he said? He said, when you recognize those people who are the weaker members of the body of Christ, you give them what? Extra honor and care. Now, I want you to think about that for a second. I've set set up this relationship where I am the stronger member of the body of Christ. They are the weaker member of the body of Christ. So I am called to give them honor and care. I cannot care for someone from a distance. I cannot care for someone separated from them. In order to care for them well, I have to be in close proximity. I have to be with them. I have to be in fellowship. And since I am the stronger member, I've set up this dichotomy, since I am the stronger member, I need to take that step to build that relationship in order to care for them well. In order to honor them well, if I've set up this dichotomy, in order to honor them well, I have to lift them up, which requires humility on my part. I have to submit. I have to maybe give them my seat at the table. I have to give them honor that maybe I could receive in order to honor them well. I cannot honor and care for someone and exclude them at the same time. I can't honor and care for someone and ignore them or assume they have negative intent. I can't honor and care for them and minimize their pain. To honor and care for someone, I need to take a risk and stand beside them in solidarity. To honor and care for someone, I need to encourage them I need to hear their story. I need to sit with them in hard places, letting them tell me what they need. And I think over time, as we honor and care for one another, then we begin to see The playing field's level. Then we begin to see this mutual service, true partnership, true relationship. Leading up to this particular section of the letter, Paul has been challenging the the Corinthians because of their favoritism. He's talking about how they worship together and in their worship, they've been setting up these power structures. The rich have been eating and feasting at the Lord's table while the poor go hungry. Those who have the greater spiritual gifts are lifted up while those with lesser spiritual gifts are ignored. And Paul here is challenging our assumptions and our misconceptions And calling us to remember that we are all empowered by the same spirit into the same body and to devalue any member of that body harms the whole body. The only way the body of Christ unites is through submission to Jesus as Lord, through mutual service and through honoring and caring for each other. I'll be honest, it's been a long weekend. (laughs) This is one of those times in our world when you don't feel like you have an answer. You don't feel like you always know the way forward. And when you serve in the role of prophet, you know that there are gonna be some who think you say too much, some who think you say too little, and everybody in between. And my prayer this weekend has been that we would all, each and every one of us would submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. That we would let God search our hearts in those deep places that we don't like to talk about. That we would look around at our brothers and sisters in Christ And through the eyes of the Spirit, we would see them as valued members of the body of Christ. And that we would find ways to stand together, to submit to one another, and to love each other well. In a minute, we're going to respond at the table, which I think is the only fitting way to respond. But later in the day, as you've gathered with other people, there's some questions that I would encourage you to go through and let God search your heart. How have your assumptions, your desires, and your actions been changed because you submitted to Jesus Is Lord. Many of us have submitted some things to God and, and celebrate those things. Remember them. Let it give you courage for what comes next. And ask, how is the Lordship of Jesus currently challenging my assumptions, my desires, and my actions? And the next question, don't Blow past this one because this one's going to be hard to have a conversation about. When Paul says some parts of the body that seem weakest and least important, what person or group of people come to your mind? That's going to be hard to speak and navigate. But then ask, how can you give greater honor to that person, that group of people? And then ask, what gifts of the spirit have you received? What comes naturally to you, but maybe difficult for many others? And how are you using those gifts to help others? And how are you letting others, others' gifts help you?